With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Experience the best in relaxation and entertainment with Saul Good Streaming at SaulGood.org. Our extensive library features hundreds of audiobooks, thousands of short stories, original podcasts, and popular sounds for sleep, meditation, and relaxation all ad-free. Whether you want to escape into a good book or fall asleep to your favorite ambient sound, we have something for everyone. Go to SaulGood.org to start streaming and discover your new go-to for entertainment and relaxation. That's S-O-L-G-O-O-D dot O-R-G. Section 16. The Strength of God Concerning the Reverend Curtis Hartman The Strength of God the Reverend Curtis Hartman was pastor of the Presbyterian Church of Winesburg and had been in that position ten years. He was forty years old and by his nature very silent and reticent. To preach standing in the pulpit before the people was always a hardship for him and from Wednesday morning until Saturday evening he thought of nothing but the two sermons that must be preached on Sunday. Early on Sunday morning he went into a little room called a study in the bell tower of the church and prayed. In his prayers there was one note that always predominated. Give me strength and courage for thy work, O Lord, he pleaded, kneeling on the bare floor and bowing his head in the presence of the task that lay before him. The Reverend Hartman was a tall man with a brown beard. His wife, a stout, nervous woman, was the daughter of a manufacturer of underwear at Cleveland, Ohio. The minister himself was rather a favourite in the town. The elders of the church liked him because he was quiet and unpretentious, and Mrs. White, the banker's wife, thought him scholarly and refined. The Presbyterian Church held itself somewhat aloof from the other churches of Winesburg. It was larger and more imposing, and its minister was better paid. He even had a carriage of his own, and on summer evenings sometimes drove about town with his wife. Through Main Street and up and down Buckeye Street he went, bowing gravely to the people, while his wife, afire with secret pride, looked at him out of the corners of her eyes and worried, lest the horse became frightened and ran away. For a good many years after he came to Winesburg things went well with Curtis Hartman. He was not one to arouse keen enthusiasm among the worshippers in his church, but, on the other hand, he made no enemies. In reality, he was much in earnest, and sometimes suffered prolonged periods of remorse, because he could not go crying the word of God in the highways and byways of the town. He wondered if the flame of the Spirit really burned in him, and dreamed of a day when a strong, sweet, new current of power would come like a great wind into his voice and his soul, and the people would tremble before the Spirit of God made manifest in him. "'I am a poor stick, and that will never really happen to me,' he mused dejectedly, and then a patient smile lit up his features. "'Oh, well, I suppose I'm doing well enough,' he added philosophically. The room in the bell-tower of the church where, on Sunday mornings, the minister prayed for an increase in him of the power of God, 
had but one window. It was long and narrow, and swung outward on a hinge like a door. On the window, made of little leaded panes, was a design showing the Christ laying his hand upon the head of a child. One Sunday morning in the summer, as he sat by his desk in the room with a large Bible open before him, and the sheets of his sermons scattered about, the minister was shocked to see, in the upper room of the house next door, a woman lying in her bed and smoking a cigarette while she read a book. Curtis Hartman went on tiptoe to the window and closed it softly. He was horror stricken at the thought of a woman smoking, and trembled also to think that his eyes, just raised from the pages of the Book of God, had looked upon the bare shoulders and white throat of a woman. With his brain in a whirl, he went down into the pulpit and preached a long sermon without once thinking of his gestures or his voice. The sermon attracted unusual attention because of its power and clearness. I wonder if she is listening. If my voice is carrying a message into her soul, he thought, and began to hope that on future Sunday mornings he might be able to say words that would touch and awaken the woman, apparently far gone in secret sin. The house next door to the Presbyterian church, through the windows of which the minister had seen the sight that had so upset him, was occupied by two women. Aunt Elizabeth Swift, a grey, competent looking widow with money in the Winesburg National Bank, lived there with her daughter. Kate Swift, a schoolteacher. The schoolteacher was thirty years old and had a neat, trim-looking figure. She had few friends and bore a reputation of having a sharp tongue. When he began to think about her, Curtis Hartman remembered that she had been to Europe and had lived for two years in New York City. Perhaps, after all, her smoking means nothing. He thought. He began to remember that when he was a student in college and occasionally read novels, good although somewhat worldly women had smoked through the pages of a book that had once fallen into his hands. With a rush of new determination, he worked on his sermons all through the week and forgot, in his zeal to reach the ears and soul of this new listener, both his embarrassment in the pulpit and the necessity of prayer in the study on Sunday mornings. Reverend Hartman's experience with women. Had been somewhat limited. He was the son of a wagon maker from Muncie, Indiana, and had worked his way through college. The daughter of the underwear manufacturer had boarded in a house where he lived during his school days, and he'd married her after a formal and prolonged courtship, carried on for the most part by the girl herself. On his marriage day, the underwear manufacturer had given his daughter five thousand dollars, and he promised to leave her at least twice that amount in his will. The minister had thought himself fortunate in marriage and had never permitted himself to think of other women. He did not want to think of other women. What he wanted was to do the work of God quietly and earnestly. In the soul of the minister, a struggle awoke. From wanting to reach the ears of Kate Swift and through his sermons to delve into her soul, he began to want also to look again at the figure lying white and quiet on the bed. On a Sunday morning, when he could not sleep because of his thoughts, he arose and went to walk in the streets. When he'd gone along Main Street, almost to the old Richmond place, he stopped, and picking up a stone, rushed off to the room in the bell tower. With the stone, he broke out a corner of the window and then locked the door and sat down at the desk before the open Bible, to wait. 
When the shade of the window to Kate Swift's room was raised, he could see, through the hole, directly into her bed. But she was not there. She also had arisen and had gone for a walk, and the hand that raised the shade was the hand of Aunt Elizabeth Swift. The minister almost wept with joy at this deliverance from the carnal desire to peep, and went back to his own house praising God. In an ill moment he forgot, however, to stop the hole in the window. The piece of glass broken out of the corner of the window just nipped off the bare heel of the boy standing motionless and looking with rapt eyes into the face of the Christ. Curtis Hartman forgot his sermon on that Sunday morning. He talked to his congregation, and in his talk said that it was a mistake for people to think of their minister as a man set aside and intended by nature to lead a blameless life. Out of my own experience, I know that we, who are the ministers of God's word, are beset by the same temptations that assail you, he declared. I have been tempted and have surrendered to temptation. It is only the hand of God placed beneath my head that has raised me up. As he has raised me, so also will he raise you. Do not despair. In your hour of sin, raise your eyes to the skies, and you will be again and again saved. Resolutely, the minister put the thoughts of the woman in the bed out of his mind, and began to be something like a lover in the presence of his wife. One evening, when they drove out together, he turned the horse out of Buckeye Street, and in the darkness on Gospel Hill, above Waterworks Pond, put his arm about Sarah Hartman's waist. When he'd eaten breakfast in the morning, and was ready to retire to his study at the back of his house, he went around the table and kissed his wife on the cheek. When thoughts of Kate Swift came into his head, he smiled and raised his eyes to the skies. Intercede for me, master, he muttered. Keep me in the narrow path intent on thy work. And now began the real struggle in the soul of the brown-bearded minister. By chance he discovered that Kate Swift was in the habit of lying in her bed in the evenings and reading a book. A lamp stood on a table by the side of the bed, and the light streamed down upon her white shoulders and bare throat. On the evening when he made the discovery, the minister sat at the desk in the dusty room from nine until after eleven, and when her light was put out, stumbled out of the church to spend two more hours walking and praying in the streets. He did not want to kiss the shoulders and the throat of Kate Swift, and had not allowed his mind to dwell on such thoughts. He did not know what he wanted. "'I am God's child, and he must save me from myself,' he cried, in the darkness under the trees as he wandered in the streets. By a tree he stood and looked at the sky that was covered with hurrying clouds. He began to talk to God, intimately and closely. "'Please, Father, do not forget me. Give me power to go to-morrow and repair the hole in the window. Lift my eyes again to the skies. Stay with me, thy servant, in his hour of need.' Up and down through the silent streets walked the minister, and for days and weeks his soul was troubled. He could not understand the temptation that had come to him, nor could he fathom the reason for its coming. In a way, he began to blame God, saying to himself that he tried to keep his feet in the true path, and had not run about seeking sin. Through my days as a young man, and all through my life here, I have gone quietly about my work, he declared. Why now should I be tempted? What have I done that this burden should be laid on me? 
Three times during the early fall and winter of that year, Curtis Hartman crept out of his house to the room in the bell tower to sit in the darkness, looking at the figure of Kate Swift lying in her bed, and later went to walk and pray in the streets. He could not understand himself. For weeks he would go along, scarcely thinking of the schoolteacher, and telling himself that he'd conquered the carnal desire to look at her body. And then something would happen. As he sat in the study of his own house, hard at work on a sermon, he would become nervous and begin to walk up and down the room. I will go out into the streets, he told himself, and even as he let himself in at the church door, he persistently denied to himself the cause of his being there. I will not repair the hole in the window, and I will train myself to come here at night and sit in the presence of this woman without raising my eyes. I will not be defeated in this thing. The Lord has devised this temptation as a test of my soul, and I will grope my way out of darkness into the light of righteousness. One night in January, when it was bitter cold and snow lay deep in the streets of Winesburg, Curtis Hartman paid his last visit to the room in the bell tower of the church. It was past nine o'clock when he left his own house, and he set out so hurriedly that he forgot to put on his overshoes. In Main Street, no one was abroad but Hop Higgins, the night watchman, and in the whole town, no one was awake but the watchman and young George Willard, who sat in the office of the Winesburg Eagle, trying to write a story. Along the street to the church went the minister, ploughing through the drifts and thinking that this time he would utterly give way to sin. I want to look at the woman, and to think of kissing her shoulders, and I am going to let myself think what I choose, he declared bitterly, and tears came into his eyes. He began to think that he would get out of the ministry and try some other way of life. I shall go to some city and get into business, he declared. If my nature is such that I cannot resist sin, I shall give myself over to sin. At least I shall not be a hypocrite, preaching the word of God with my mind thinking of the shoulders and neck of a woman who does not belong to me. It was cold in the room of the bell tower of the church on that January night, and almost as soon as he came into the room Curtis Hartman knew that if he stayed he would be ill. His feet were wet from tramping in the snow, and there was no fire. In the room in the house next door, Kate Swift had not yet appeared. With grim determination, the man sat down to wait. Sitting in the chair, and gripping the edge of the desk on which lay the Bible, he stared into the darkness, thinking the blackest thoughts of his life. He thought of his wife, and for the moment almost hated her. She's always been ashamed of passion, and has cheated me, he thought. Man has a right to expect living passion and beauty in a woman. He has no right to forget that he is an animal, and in me there is something that is Greek. I will throw off the woman of my bosom and seek other women. I will besiege this schoolteacher. I will fly in the face of all men, and if I am a creature of carnal lusts, I will live then for my lusts. The distracted man trembled from head to foot, partly from cold, partly from the struggle in which he was engaged. Hours passed, and a fever assailed his body. His throat began to hurt, and his teeth chattered. His feet on the study floor felt like two cakes of ice. Still, he would not give up. I will see this woman, and will think the thoughts I have never dared to think, he told himself, gripping the edge of the desk and waiting. Curtis Hartman came near dying from the effects of that night of waiting in the church, 
and also he found in the thing that happened what he took to be the way of life for him. On other evenings, when he'd waited, he'd not been able to see, through the little hole in the glass, any part of the schoolteacher's room except that occupied by her bed. In the darkness, he'd waited until the woman suddenly appeared, sitting in the bed in her white nightrobe. When the light was turned up, she propped herself up among the pillows and read a book. Sometimes she smoked one of the cigarettes. Only her bare shoulders and her throat were visible. On the January night, after he'd come near dying with cold, and after his mind had two or three times actually slipped away into an odd land of fantasy, so that he had by an exercise of willpower to force himself back into consciousness, Kate Swift appeared. In the room next door, a lamp was lighted, and the waiting man stared into an empty bed. Then, upon the bed, before his eyes, a naked woman threw herself, lying face downwards. She wept and beat with her fists upon the pillow. With a final outburst of weeping, she half arose, and in the presence of the man who'd waited to look and not to think thoughts, the woman of sin began to pray. In the lamplight, her figure, slim and strong, looked like the figure of the boy in the presence of the Christ on the leaded window. Curtis Hartman never remembered how he got out of the church. With a cry, he arose, dragging the heavy desk along the floor. The Bible fell, making a great clatter in the silence. When the light in the house next door went out, he stumbled down the stairway and into the street. Along the street he went and ran in at the door of the Winesburg Eagle. To George Willard, who was tramping up and down in the office, undergoing a struggle of his own, he began to talk half incoherently. The ways of God are beyond human understanding," he cried, running in quickly and closing the door. He began to advance upon the young man, his eyes glowing and his voice ringing with fervor. "I have found the light," he cried. "After ten years in this town, God has manifested Himself to me in the body of a woman." His voice dropped, and he began to whisper. "I did not understand," he said. "What I took to be a trial of my soul." Was only a preparation for a new and more beautiful fervor of the spirit. God has appeared to me in the person of Kate Swift, the schoolteacher, kneeling naked on a bed. Do you know Kate Swift? Although she may not be aware of it, she is an instrument of God, bearing the message of truth. Reverend Curtis Hartman turned and ran out of the office. At the door, he stopped. And after looking up and down the deserted street, turned again to George Willard. I am delivered. Have no fear. He held up a bleeding fist for the young man to see. I smashed the glass of the window. He cried. Now it will have to be wholly replaced. The strength of God was in me, and I broke it with my fist. End of section sixteen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking.、Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and、uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Experience the best in relaxation and entertainment with Saul Good Streaming at SaulGood.org. Our extensive library features hundreds of audiobooks, thousands of short stories, original podcasts, and popular sounds for sleep, meditation, and relaxation all ad-free. Whether you want to escape into a good book or fall asleep to your favorite ambient sound, we have something for everyone. Go to SaulGood.org to start streaming and discover your new go-to for entertainment and relaxation. That's S-O-L-G-O-O-D dot O-R-G.